Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. This is John Fitzgerald, and welcome to another edition of Continuum, the podcast of the International Business Council. Today, our guest is Kevin Jerger, a graduate of the University of San Diego. Kevin, welcome. Thanks for taking time to be with us. John, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to be speaking with the SIBC and IBC communities. No, that's fantastic. So, you know, first off, Kevin, tell us a little about, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, where you grew up in and how you ended up at the University of San Diego. Yeah, of course. Uh, my, I, I grew up actually in, in Illinois, so a little bit closer to Notre Dame than San Diego, but uh, um, certain circumstances led me out to uh, go to school out there. I, um, I really wanted to go somewhere different, and uh, I had a, an older brother that um, went to school in um, Claremont, California, so I got exposed to it. And uh, when it came down to it, I really wanted to kind of um, expand my, you know, horizons as, you know, a um, both as, you know, a job prospect, but as a person just um, wanted to experience more than the Midwest. Not that, uh, you know, the Midwest isn't great, um, but I really wanted to, you know, meet people from a lot of diverse backgrounds. And um, I, they, they had a really great study abroad program that I found really exciting. So I, um, I when it came down to it, I really saw a lot more um new experiences in, in San Diego than I did at schools in the Midwest that I was also looking at. So um, I looking back, it was a great decision. I'm really glad that I did it. And um, yeah, it was it was definitely different compared to a lot of the other people that I was going to high school with at the time. Um, so it was it was definitely a, a burden that I had to, to jump across to get there. So but I'm really glad that I did. When you were at USD, you got involved in the SIBC. Can you tell us like how that happened, how you got involved, how you got exposed to it? And then I'm just throwing a bunch of questions at you, you know, about that experience itself. Like how involved did you get? Were you involved your four years at USD, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was actually a, kind of a, uh, a strange route that I took to get into the, the SIBC. I, w- I wasn't um, involved for my first three years. And those first three years, I was an accounting student, and um, I thought I was going to be an accountant in uh, big four public accounting. I had been um, doing internships with with those big four companies, and um, really thought that's what I was going to do. But by the end of my junior year, I was kind of getting a little disillusioned with with accounting, and I, I really didn't see a lot of um, excitement in that career path. Um, so I kind of started to look at some other classes that I could take within the business school at USD and analytics was one of those. Um, they had just started a business analytics program. So I started um, enrolling in those classes for my senior year and I found them incredibly interesting. I thought it was just such a you know um, more broad set of problems that we were solving in analytics than in accounting. And that, that really excited me. But I f- felt like because I only had a handful of classes since I started my senior year, um, I need a little bit more experience to um, actually leverage a job out of this this newfound passion I had for analytics. Um, and timing had it that SIBC was launching one of their first analytics-driven projects. At the time, a lot of our projects before that, um, to my understanding, were, were more marketing-driven or um, not necessarily like hands-on with the data. Um, they had a project through Tesla. And I found that super interesting. And I was trying to get whatever experience I could. So that project jumped out at me. So I, I went in and sat in some meetings. And then the more and more I, I went to the meetings, the more I found, hey, I'm actually going to you know, 
really get a, a chance to use my analytic skills um, and put them to the test. And, and it gave me a really great place to do that, a great place to work with other people um, and get connected to businesses. So we eventually presented the Tesla. I eventually became the, the project leader for our piece of the presentation um, and just had an overall really great experience with SIBC. So you graduated in 2019, 2023 today. So in these past four years, what are you doing? Like, what did you first do when you, you got out of USD? Yeah. Yeah. So I um, still, even after the, the SIBC program and with that, that Tesla business case, um, felt a little like um, unqualified to be a, an analyst, you know, with only two classes and, and one project. Um, but very, very lucky to um, have reached out to an alumni. Um, Madeline Gross is her name. And um, uh, she was working for a, a marketing company in San Diego. Um, and they were hiring a, a business analyst. Um, so I reached out and, and got connected and um, passed a, you know, a small analytics type of test and, and got my first job there. Um, and I was really just trying to get experience. I, I, I um, still like, you know, was like, I have all this accounting experience. I need to build the analytics experience if I want to make a career out of it. And I really wanted to solve like really interesting and challenging problems with my career. Um, that's what I you know, found so exciting about business analytics, analytics in general. Um, so that kind of gave me a, a chance to really begin to build those skills a little more. So I did that for about two years. And midway through, the company um, was acquired. And things started changing. And then at that point, um, I kind of knew that I really didn't... I, I had a cap for my growth of skills at that company. And I, I began to really look for other opportunities to grow. And as luck would have it, Madeline um, left the company at the time. It, it, was, it was then called DMS, Digital Media Solutions. Um, she left to a company called Assurance, um, which is based out of Seattle. It's an insurance brokerage company. Um, very tech-oriented company. Startup in, uh, started in 2016. Um, and it was sold to Prudential in 2019. So very aggressive growth. Um, so she went there. And then um, we were on a, a call kind of transitioning some of her items. Um, after she had left, and she was like, "You would love the data science program here. It's a really solid program. Um, they're all, you know, cutting edge um, experience." And I, I began looking at it more and more. And, I, and I've been at Assurance now for a couple years after Madeline got me a second introduction to a company. Um, and so I've been working at Assurance since in the data science department, and that's gone really well for me so far. Kevin, what do you think? As you know, I still say you're in the early stage of your career. You probably think differently. But uh, what kind of motivates you from a work perspective, from a career perspective? I mean, what drives you? What What's really the appeal? Yeah, I, I'll say it's uh, it's just blessing that I'm not an accountant going through busy season, I'll say. No, but uh, I kid. Um, I, I really am motivated by solving tough and challenging problems. Like if I look back to the beginning of my career in analytics, um, it was the... Um, very, very problem-oriented conversations that we would have in this business analytics class. It wasn't really hands-on keyboard. It was more like thinking through the problems. And um, one of the problems that we looked to solve was um, how a hospital could um, use data to drive less sepsis cases. Sepsis is a, uh, an illness that, that is um, uh, kind of like an illness that you get while you're at the hospital. And they have all of this data on on patients. It's an infection that you can get while you're while you're in the hospital. And they have so much data on patients. And um, 
they, the, the problem that we kind of fought through as a class was how can we like reduce this as analysts? You know, what data do we need? Say it's, you know, an open thought problem. We can collect whatever we need. And then how would we structure a way to um, reduce sepsis cases with data? Um, it was really, really fun thinking through that and wanting to like, you know, make a difference. We thought this was a solved problem. It's actually something that um, machine learning and, you know, data science was able to solve um, through the data that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hospitals across the nation had to predict when a patient would get uh, sepsis and then, you know, be able to proactively um, keep that from happening um, and actually make a huge difference in, in people's lives. So um, just like being motivated by like having those tough, meaningful problems to solve is kind of what's driving me through my my career to, you know, find places that, you know, analytics can make a difference and make consistently good decisions with uh, a strong foundation of, of analytics and data. So that's that's what's motivated me so far through my career. Three years into undergrad, you make that decision to, to kind of transition from accounting to analytics. Can you speak at all that does account does that accounting background that you have and will always have, does it complement analytics? You know, I think I think it definitely does in in some capacities. In in some ways, um not not a ton, but in, in certain ways it really helps me to think about a PL. Um and I, I've noticed that a lot of other analysts that I work alongside don't think in terms of that, you know, balance sheet mentality or, you know, unit economics of um, you know, cost accounting and um, understanding that you need a, a margin for a product to, to succeed. Um, so having that background that's, you know, kind of hammered into you as uh, a accounting and, and finance student um, definitely has benefited me in, in certain areas. Um, though I will say it's, it's, you know, a long time since I've looked at a, at a journal entry and it's, it's definitely been some time since I've been um, focused on those concepts, but I think I still draw on them in a lot of ways. Um, thinking from a financial perspective at problems. So it gives me another angle to kind of like think about, about problems. So in, in full disclosure to our listeners, you and I were, were first introduced last fall, I believe. And when I spoke to you, you were in the midst of, of moving from San Diego back to Chicago. So talk a little bit about that, about you know, you go to school out in San Diego, the 65 degrees, 68 degree weather, it's fantastic all the time. You get, what, three years in, a little bit over three years experience, and then you make the, the move back with, and I believe you're still with Assurance today, but what went into that thought process of relocating and, and what drew you back to the Midwest or back to Chicago? Yes, correct. Uh, I, I was in the process of moving when we spoke and, and now I'm, I'm fully moved back. And um, what, what really drove me back is a, a family and being closer to um, almost all of my my family from both sides is, is here in Illinois or Wisconsin. So um, being closer to them, I had been out there for about six years, and it was it was really um, tough. Really, only seeing them a couple times a year, especially after graduating from a student and having less you know time to to travel back and see them. Um, and it, it was it was I think um, really more just you know not necessarily being a um, Growing as much as I did when I was first a student there, um, and you know, meeting lots of new people. As I was a remote worker, I wasn't necessarily um, going into the office and interacting with people all the time. So it kind of gave me that leeway to say, like, you know, what's really more important is it, you know, being out here working alone or you know, being a lot closer to family. Um, and so I chose family in that in that case there. If you had the chance to talk to your college self six years ago, you were a sophomore at USD. 
knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? I, I think I would say that um, you're you're a lot you're a lot more um, you're a lot more gifted than than you think you are at being able to you know learn a new skill. And I think I always felt really incompetent at analytics when I when I stepped into it. But I would tell myself that um, people people value energy, people value excitement about ideas and about um, professions um, just as much as they do skills. So don't feel inadequate that you haven't, you know, tried something, um, but really dive in and give it your best and, and people will see the the benefit and don't always feel like you're, you know, um, not capable of doing something just because you don't have a ton of experience in it. Um, I think that was something that I've always kind of, um, felt I was, uh, you know, not, not good enough at, at any particular skill that I was doing. I, the same thing happened when I became moved from a, an analyst to a, a data scientist. I felt, you know, inadequate in that, that role. And then I found out that I've, you know, done really well and, and succeeded a lot faster than I ever thought was even possible. So in, in both phases, I would wish I could have gone back and told myself that, um, you know, you are really capable and you, you can succeed. Just, you know, um, continue to have that energy and excitement for, for problem solving and, and you'll get there. So, Kevin, the counter to that is, you know, in, in your experience so far, in, be it in, in college, going into your professional career now, what do you think holds people back? Yeah, yeah. Um, are you saying in, in a, um, you know, a, a general sense of, of students in, in college or, or after it or in any setting? Yeah, just, just I, I think the, no, more be it um, in school or in profession, I mean, do you see, are there any traits that you see that, you know, have limited people from potentially succeeding? Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing comes immediately to mind. I will say that um, that that ability to kind of like reach out and, um, you know, find somebody in, in, a, in a profession that you're interested in and um, taking that initiative to, to speak with them to get there. I think... Um, Potentially at times I, I've talked to people that are like, I want to do this. I want to do this. Um, but they aren't, you know, kind of like taking that, that jump. Um, and maybe it's because, you know, similarly, I, they felt like I don't have the skills. I'm not good enough to do that. Um, but reaching out and, and um, you know, trying to make that connection to somebody in that industry or in that, you know, role that you want to do, um, I think can really open a lot of doors and, and give you that opportunity to get there. And if you don't make that first effort, um, you may not get there. I think, and I, I really think, as I spoke about, you know, Madeline and um, a few other people uh, along with my career, um, have always been willing to like, you know, build that bridge into a profession that they're in. So I think that um, not reaching out to try and, you know, get somebody to to build a bridge from the other side may be what holds some people back from, um, you know, making it to that that next step in their career or you know that path that they want to take. So in keeping that same kind of context going, same direction, I want to talk a little bit about like influence and leadership. So in your life, have you had any person or any people that have had, you know, a transformative impression, impact on you personally and professionally? And if so, less worried about the name, but just how that impacted you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'd say that my my father is the person that first comes to mind here when you ask this question, and and um, he he's always taught me, you know, kindness and um, very very much like being a helpful person lends really well to your success as as a leader, um, and just you know 
really caring about the people in your life. And he always kind of instilled that and, and really, you know, taught me what it is to, to be a man and, and a businessman. And, and, you know, it, there's a lot of similarities across those two, I think, um, you know, kindness and, and um, appreciation for, for people really, you know, leads to, to success for yourself and for others around you. So I would say that. And, and outside of that, I'd say um, fostering like a, a curiosity for life definitely came from um, my mother too. Um, I, I, I glossed over it at the start, but I was, I was homeschooled before uh, I went to high school. And she definitely fostered just a curiosity for learning in my life, which I've carried with me to, to this day. So when you look back in this, this young life that you have, you know, what mistakes do you think helped make you and put you where you are today? And probably the bigger picture helped develop your skills. And, and it isn't dwelling on the negative when I say mistakes, but, you know, the, those missteps. What, what do you think really helped catapult you to, the, to where you are today? Yeah, yeah. In terms of of mistakes, um, and you can you can twist it. I mean, the, the successes. What are the positives that helped you know put you where you are today? Yeah, yeah. I'll say that that the positives are are a little easier. Those those um, taking those leaps of faith. You know, to to go across the country to go to school to you know reach out to somebody you've never met to to get an introduction and and hopefully build that bridge into the the professional space um, to you know. Take, take a, a stab at, at a, a job that you don't really feel like you're super qualified for and, and, and having it work out. I feel like I've taken a few risks in, in my career and, and those have those have paid off. I've definitely had a lot of you know jobs that I've, I've wanted or, or careers that, that definitely I was rejected from. And I feel like maybe that, that in, in looking at the mistakes, that, that narrowed down the path a little easier for me to kind of you know, choose a path. Um, but definitely, I, I would say like taking those leaps of of, of faith and, and really like, you know, being, being confident in it, um, has led to, led to a few success uh, throughout my life, but you know, just a couple, I've, I've only been out of undergrad for, uh, for about three and a half, four years now. So, uh, haven't had a ton of those transitions in my life so far. So I go back to bringing up the, this person who has helped you now with two different career opportunities. And when you start talking about the first thing that went through my mind is that it almost, She's almost become kind of a mentor to you. Granted, she helped you open doors, but talk a little bit about mentorship to you. And, and is it important, you know, as you continue to progress in your career to kind of pay that forward and find opportunities that you can potentially help, you know, someone, you know, entering the field or, or looking for a new opportunity? Yeah, 100%, John. I think that I've been blessed to have great mentors like Madeline. Um, like uh, Jordan Jadala at um, SIBC, he was the one who um, started the Tesla project that really kickstarted my analytics career. Um, these these people have consistently been there for me when I live reached out, and um, I think the advice I would give to the SIBC community is there's there's always people that are that are willing to to build that bridge, and you know what everybody in the business world they're, they're they're people just like you, you know they they've been helped before and they're willing to lend that back and. Me and my, you know, personal experience taking the, the the blessings that I've had from from people like Madeline, I 100% want to pay that forward to people in the past, and I've done that somewhat. Started to through mentorship programs with the the SIBC um, and just general mentorship at um, USD, the analytics program. I've I've gone back and spoken a few times to the students that are now not the first class like I was, but some of the the, the um, second and third and fourth years that have been through that program now um, 
being the first alum, I feel like I can actually provide them with a little bit of that sight into what the career path could look like. Um, so I'm very passionate about, you know, giving back to those analytic students that are, um, you know, in a relatively um, early program at the school and wanting to, to give them an idea of what their career could look like a few years down the road. Um, so I'm very, very passionate about, you know, producing that um, in, a, in a career field that's, that's not as, you know, um, robust as accounting or, or something like that. So, Kevin, what do you do to continue to, to ensure that you grow, develop, learn? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really have found that, that my learnings come from being around people, um, around people that are better than me in certain areas that I can, you know, um, learn from in, in a um, collaborative fashion. I think that um, the transition that I made from my first company to Assurance um, was very learnings driven. I think going from a data team where it was me and a junior analyst to a data team of um, 30 data professionals, data engineering, um, data scientists, analysts, um, really fostered a really good environment for me to learn from other people with specialties in, um, you know, data modeling, a very specific, you know, uh, skill and being able to, um, uh, learn from their struggles in the past too, a, a lot faster than having to, to do it all on your own. So I'd say collaborating with people, um, that have, better skills than you and learning how, how they think and approach problems really helps you refine your own ability to, to, um, to grow as, as a professional. So that's, that's been a, um, a really beneficial decision that I made to, to kind of surround myself with people that know a lot more than me and that, you know, have many more years of experience than I do, um, to really grow a lot faster than having to try and do it all on your own. Um, I do think there is benefit in doing that. I, I think, um, I, on the, uh, other side of that that point, I think a few times in my career, I've really had to roll up my sleeves to get something done. And it's not like somebody's there to hold your hand. Um, and, and a few specific projects, I've definitely had to go the extra mile on my own and really, um, you know, found a lot of learnings by just, um, you know, trying to pick up a new skill completely on my own and, um, and, and just work through that by yourself and not really like, you know, being on somebody else's coattails to, to get to that success. So I've seen success in both ways, but uh, I think a good balance of both of those really can help you catapult your career. Perfect. Hey, I, I wanted to talk now about it, more specific about the IBC and the IBC mission, which is very similar to the SIBC mission, is to create a world where the business community acts as a principled force for the common good globally. Can you talk about what that means to you? I mean, from my perspective, that it sometimes maybe it sounds too big for any one person, but I, I just wonder what your what your take on that is. Yeah, I I think that it's an amazing mission, and I think that I've definitely felt that times like it when you know I was back in SABC, how is this you know one small project to to, to Tesla really going to make a difference or you know achieve those global um, oriented goals? But I think that um, people in business really have an impact on other others' lives, both in your coworker interactions, your men mentor mentee interactions, um, but also societal uh, outcomes of your company. And I think that um, I, I I love the fostering of that value. And like, there are so many discussions within a company that that have outcomes on ordinary people's lives 
Um, and data science has really come under the, the microscope of that in recent years because um, more and more algorithms are affecting people's lives. And so I see it as, um, you know, being a data scientist, being a data professional means being a fiduciary of the common person, you know, like so many algorithms can be misused to negatively impact people's lives. Um, and so being in those rooms where those algorithms are being conducted and, you know, tuned to a specific purpose, there needs to be somebody with a, you know, guiding moral compass as it's being done. Because, um, you know, if you point the optimization problem at profit, um, you may have some very negative consequences. So it always takes a, a careful eye from the person in the room to really guide, you know, outcomes that really, you know, help that mission that SIBC has. So that whole, what you just said, I want to pick up on something you just said about that, that moral compass. Can you talk a little bit about the, going back to your time at USD, just kind of that, that overarching, I mean, you you never probably took a class, so to speak on, you know, how to have a good moral compass, but just in general, those four years, how that, you know, continued you, impacted you really for your profession for the rest of your life? Yeah, John, I think it had a, had a huge impact. And I think that the liberal arts education, I definitely think a lot more about those gen ed classes or uh, elective classes to this day than I do about my, you know, um, even my my analytics uh, courses, you know, learning coding. I think that um, those classes, they get you to think about problems that are, you know, uh, mor- moral dilemmas, say. Um, philosophy courses or literature courses, the, you know, going through a dilemma or a, a struggle of a, of a person in, in a story fashion, um, having to write an essay about a challenging topic like that really gets to th- you to think about right and wrong or, you know, um, good decisions, bad decisions in a more um, rigorous setting than just kind of like a, a conversation with a person. So I do think that my education at USD and the, you know, um, requirement at first to take those types of classes. But really, I, I enjoyed that. And I, I sought out those types of classes. Um, and those conversations with my, you know, fellow students um, is pushing me to this day to like, you know, continue to keep that that moral compass and to continue to have those like tougher, um, more ethical conversations in the in the workplace to this day. So that brings up a question that that I just thought of, um, amazingly. But if you had a chance, and it's there's going to be a series of questions here. First, if you had the chance to talk to her, if a, a senior in high school you know, was picking your brain about where I should what where I should look to continue my education for college, big picture, what would you tell them? Yeah, that that is a um, a very crucial decision point in in anyone's career. At least it feels like it. Um, you still have four years to figure it out. As I, I showed, you know, pivoting in my my last year of my my undergrad career. Um, but I would say that going into college with your job picked out and your career path picked out is maybe a oversimplification of what college is. And I think almost anyone that that goes to a you know. Um, maybe a, a non-university or, you know, degree-oriented school or like a, um, you know, a, a online university that you're just trying to get accredited. Somebody that goes in person to a school to, to aspire to, 
you know, learn a more broad set of things will tell you that almost all of their takeaways from college are, are almost, um, outside of the, the, the purpose of what they went to school for. Um, you know, a, a lot of people that you'll talk to, maybe the majors is, is, you know, I, I majored in that, but you know, I had these amazing friends that I picked up. I changed my perspective on life. So I would just say broaden your, your idea of what college could be. Um, it definitely can lend to a, a career. And, and that's a huge reason of why you want to make that investment in going to the college and, and picking up a degree. Um, but I'll say that, um, really uh, advancing your life as a whole. Um, and you, the way that you think about the world is a huge possibility of, of going to, to school. So. so now I'm going to fast forward four years. And what would you say to, to recent college graduates who have this great, strong, huge desire to go out and make a big impact on the world, but don't know where to start? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that is something I feel like I'm still, uh, I'm still wrestling with myself. You know, I, sure. I want to make more of an impact every day. And it's, I, I would, I feel like what, when I'm telling myself and what I would tell these, these seniors in college, um, is that it's a process. It's not a, you know, um, don't feel like you failed if you, your first job out of college or like, you know, you, the, the only jobs that you can get out of college are not necessarily changing the world right off the bat. But I would say, think about, you know, that five year, that 10 year, the skills that you need to get to those milestones and, and pick it, pick something that you really will feel fulfilled in those five, 10 years. And if you're not doing that right now, that's okay because you're building those skills towards that goal. Um, and it definitely takes time. I think that I definitely feel more fulfilled in my current role than I did, um, with my first role out of college. And I would hope to be more, um, impactful five years from now than I am today. And I, I've, come to realize that you don't want to necessarily beat yourself up for for not making that impact in that moment right now because there are things that you're doing towards that that future goal of of making an impact and, and really being a, a change maker as as USD um, is is known for in their their, their slogan at, at USD so um, that's probably what I, I would tell uh, you know a senior in, in college so I'm, I'm gonna keep this linear going you know and you just mentioned five years from now so in the next five years, Kevin, what do you think it's gonna it, it would take for you to say, gosh, you know, I'm just having this a great and meaningful life? Yeah, I think um I think the next stage of my career will be more managerial and mentoring other analysts. I think that's that's the next phase in my my career. I've I've definitely begun that first step into being a, a technical mentor, but I want to be a people mentor and a um, like a, a true manager of, of analytics practices across a business. So I want to continue that path. And I think my even outside of five, 10 years, I, I want to take that back and, and bring it back to, you know, seniors in high school and uh, seniors in college and, and show them, you know, what that that career could, could look like. And I think I really want to continue to teach the, the principles of, of analytics and understanding how to make good decisions. I think it's a really broadly applicable skill. And I think that even, you know, teaching seniors in, in college, you know, business analytics or just analytics in general can lend well to so many different types of problem solving. Um, so I want to continue to build my skills and my mentoring skills so that I can um, one day bring it back to a, a broader group of people and, and hopefully benefit their lives through, you know, my learnings in my career. 
So uh, how quickly is the the business analytics field changing and evolving? And, and I look at it from the standpoint that, you know, oh gosh, 15 years ago uh, was just kind of the, maybe 20 years ago was starting to be the advent of big data and business analytics was maybe a, a blip on the radar. And certainly it's advanced to where it is today. I mean, you've got USD adding a major, but just kind of big picture, your perspective, how how quickly is it changing, evolving? The, it, it meaning business analytics and business. Yeah, it feels it feels really quick. I'll, I'll say like even in the, the four years that I've been in the profession, I, I've seen some noticeable shifts, and and even even now the advent of AI is is what everybody's talking about in the you know the most recent months. Um, so it does feel very um, very quickly changing. I'll say though that I'm pretty confident that it's that it's here to stay. I mean, even even if it wasn't called data analytics 10, 15 years ago, um, before that was decision sciences. And, um, you know, potentially before that was, uh, you know, um, applied statistics. So making decisions with data or informing decisions consistently with um, accurate information is always going to be a part of business. And I think that the rest of it is, is you know, maybe more um, window dressing or the flavor of the month of, you know, new analytics tools. But I think that piece has always been very consistently a part of business. Um, and in any you know line of business, you're going to have questions that you want to answer and you're going to need accurate information to make those decisions. Um, so I think the fundamentals have been very similar, but a lot of the tools and the methods are continuing to grow. But the, the profession itself um, is just a very core piece of, of business. So I'm going to kind of wind down now and I've got probably three more general questions for you. Um, are there any, you know, I don't know if you'd like to read or not, but if you do, are there any books you've recently read that you'd like to share with us just from for our IBC community that, you know, somebody wants to pick up and read? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you asked, John. I, I read a book that was given to me by my um, business analytics professor, the one who um, taught us that that sepsis case study that I discussed earlier. Um, and it's called um, Weapons of Math Destruction. Um, it It's probably about five or six years old now. Um, but the book goes into similar case studies to that sepsis one that I, that I mentioned, but almost the opposite of it in terms of their societal impact. So it goes and talks about um, machine learning um, algorithms that got put into practice that really negatively impacted people's lives. And the one that that I, I remember um, most clearly is one, um, it's a scheduling algorithm that ultimately um, took a lot of people who used to work full-time jobs at, say, you know, restaurants and that kind of stuff and found that the optimal solution was actually to have them all be part-time and schedule them at really, you know, awkward hours and not always the same amount of hours a week. And the, the benefits to the actual employees was so bad that it, it led to just really, really negative consequences for all of the companies that use this scheduling algorithm. I mean, it shows like the dangers of misusing algorithms and, and very powerful optimization tools when they don't have somebody to guide them. Um, so that's really the whole purpose of the book. Another, another example was um, a few school districts attempted to use algorithms to score their teachers based on their students' 
um, test scores, and it really had tons of negative outcomes. So in so many facets of this, you know, analytics explosion, there's been misuse, and it really goes into good detail of that. Um, another one that I really liked, um, and it, it's a little bit older of a book, but I think it's just a phenomenal story or uh, a phenomenal real world data solution or, or sorry, problem um, is a book by, um, I think, Robert Putnam, and it's called Bowling Alone. Um, and he details the, the what he calls the decline of America's social capital. And it, it goes into a lot of detail about how people just over the last 50, 60 years are spending less time socializing. And he goes into um, an exhaustive amount of detail in data that's pointing to this trend. And I think it's just an amazing example of how data can be used to solve society's problems. Um, so those two books were very impactful in my my career. Yeah. Thank you. So if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Oh, that's that's a tough question. Um, I, I'd say uh, I, I really think a lot about about climate change and you know the the problems that that is causing all around the world. So I think if if the world had that solved, we'd be in a lot better place for the next fifty years, and a lot of our our um, you know problems that we're currently solving and efforts could be directed to, to other things. But I really do see that as the biggest challenge of, of our generation is is solving that problem and all of the ancillary impacts that that it will have over the next you know the course of of our generation's lifetime um, is just a, a a really really big problem that that it's going to take a lot of smart people to solve. Kevin, thank you. I certainly appreciate your time today. Um, I think our listeners are truly going to enjoy this, and I wish you continued success. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, John, and I, I really appreciate speaking with the SIBC and IBC communities. More than welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening today to Continuum, the IBC's podcast series. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And for more information about the IBC, visit our website at ouribc.com. That's just O-U-R-I-B-C.com. Thanks. 